Oh, yeah. And the beer I, that made Milwaukee famous. Yeah. And apparently a family pack is 99 cans. <laughs> 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 so this is a real picture. How big is your fucking family? <laughs> what is, is this Philip Rivers family? Like... <laughs> It's my favorite show of the week as we wrap up another great week of shows here on Unscripted with Free Forum Friday as we say hello and welcome you to this 427th episode of Unscripted. Mike and Chris here with you. Um, again, I don't need to say this anymore. I've said it uh, how many times. We just have a, Chris has come up with a great way to end up the week. Um, he goes on to our Twitter account, twitter.com. Uh, backslash uh, unscripted MC. He goes on there to find what people are talking about, whether it be college football, whether it be, I don't know, the Country Music Awards last night, the 51st Country Music Awards. And how did I know that? Because, well, I, I don't know, I've got a bad foot and I've been, I've been relegated to the couch the last couple of days, so I know about the Country Music Awards. I don't know who's winning, but I do know this. Blake Shelton's coming to Calgary. Yahoo! Um, so Chris goes on to our Twitter page. He finds interesting things that people are talking about. We discuss it and we move on to the next topic. Having said that, I hand the microphone over to the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Flute. Thanks, Mike. Uh, well, we've already talked about this in depth, so we don't need to talk about it again, but I thought this was a fantastic tweet and I just wanted to start off with a fun tweet here. So NFL memes at NFL underscore memes. Now I understand why the Browns use a helmet as their logo. <laughs> yeah, I. you know what? This is going to be talked about the rest of this season. It's going to be talked about until Miles Garrett is reinstated to the National Football League. And I personally feel that he should not play until this time next year. I, I truly believe that because, again, um, I believe when y- you used an NFL helmet as a weapon, I believe that that should be considered an assault charge. And thankfully, uh, Mason Rudolph didn't get hurt bad. And Mason Rudolph has a a part to play in this as well. I get that. But let's be honest. Mason Rudolph squaring off against Miles Garrett, who the hell is going to get their ass kicked? I mean, come on, guys. So I truly believe that once Miles Garrett went way beyond that line of physical uh, uh, contact sport, and he went into another stratosphere of being loony bin. Um, I believe when you use that helmet as a weapon, um, and just think about the ramifications if he had connected the crown of that helmet on the crown of the skull of Mason Rand, uh, Rudolph, whatever the hell the kid's name is, that would have been, oh my God. Um, I, I don't want to get over dramatic about it, but if he connects, you could have seen a death on an NFL playing field in prime time. That would not have been good for Jane Goodell's husband's league. And uh, I just think there needs to be a punishment to fit the crime here. And I think it should be at least a year before Miles Garrett sets foot on a National Football League field again. Okay, NFL update at MySports Update. 
This was surprising to me. The Bucks are releasing former first-round cornerback Vernon Hargraves. He was benched on Sunday. And if you remember, he won that game for them uh, yeah, right, early in did. the season. He won it with that amazing tackle. Yep. So He's been picked up by the Houston Texans, who are trying to improve their secondary. They made a trade a couple of weeks ago with the Oakland Raiders and bring uh, Conley. Can't remember his first name from Ohio State. He was a first-round draft pick a couple of years ago. He was traded down to play one corner, and now they're going to have Vernon Hargraves at the other corner. Vernon Hargraves' problem, according to Coach Bruce Arians in Tampa Bay, was he didn't seem to be moving at full speed. And another concern of Arians' was he didn't seem to give a damn. And, you know, guys, if you can't play for a coach like uh, Bruce Arians, how is he going to survive with Butchin in Houston? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. But I hope Hargraves gets it together because that play he made in Week 2 on the goal line against Carolina Panthers, costing the Panthers a win, was really an unbelievably athletic play. I think the kids got it in him. Now we got to find a way to motivate him. Yeah. All right, Carl Quintanilla at Carl Quintanilla. He just put family pack in quotes. So this is a picture of a limited edition family pack of PBR, Pab's Blue Ribbon. Oh, yeah. And the beer that made Milwaukee famous. Yeah, and apparently a family pack is 99 cans. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a real picture how big is your fucking family what is is this philip rivers family like who is this well, who is this for i have no idea but paps blue ribbon the beer that made milwaukee famous um i had some uh, paps blue ribbon back in my day um even before the legal drinking age in the state of wisconsin so no. i'm familiar with paps blue ribbon old milwaukee old style beer schlitz beer um all these beers that made milwaukee famous um i'm if that's a 99 pack i'm thinking the biggest alcoholic is having a party Jeez. okay all right, I'll need uh, some background. I've never really gotten much background on this team. This is before I was watching the NFL, even though it wasn't that long ago overall. But uh, uh, Jacob Westendorf at Jacob Westendorf, he's talking about Favre's Super Bowl team. So he tweets, number one offense, number one defense, number one special teams, won all three postseason games by double digits, dominated essentially wire to wire. This team is constantly underrated. The 96 Packers uh, were the first team since the 85 Bears to win, excuse me, to be the number one rated offense, the number one rated defense. I don't know what the Bears of 85 special teams did. I, I don't really care. Um, the 96 Packers were the first, obviously, championship team with Brett Favre at quarterback. I mean, this is, the, this is Ron Wolf's, this was Ron Wolf's mission when he was hired in late 1991 to deliver some promise to Green Bay. Um, in the late 80s, early 90s, Green Bay was very, very close, folks. And a lot of people don't know this, but Green Bay was very close to moving. Um, yes, they're publicly owned, so that would have been difficult to do it, but they were at least talking about it. Green Bay, the attendance was always good, but the team was always crap. Um, Ron Wolf was hired in 1991 to resurrect it. He was given full autonomy to do what he needed to do to get the Packers prevalent again. You've heard me many times talk about the 29 years of crap between Coach Lombardi and Coach Holmgren. First thing, uh, 
The guy that made it all happen was a gentleman by the name of Bob Harlan. His son is Kevin Harlan, the great broadcaster now on TNT basketball, NFL games for CBS and whatever, whatever. His daughter, Olivia, is now in broadcasting as well. Bob Harlan was the guy that made it all happen. He had the foresight to make moves. He was then the president of the Green Bay Packers. He is what Mark Murphy is today for the Green Bay Packers. Bob Harlan talked to talked Ron Wolf into coming to Green Bay. The only way that Ron Wolf would have come to Green Bay in 1991 was with full autonomy. He wanted nobody to answer to. He was the head of football operations. And then the first thing that Ron Wolf did was send a first-round draft pick down to Atlanta for an underachieving quarterback that was more famous for his drinking habits than his football play, and that was one Brett Lorenzo Favre. Then Brett Lorenzo Favre in 1992 got him to 9-7. and seven. They missed the playoffs, but that was the first winning season the Packers had had in years. Then all of a sudden, that offseason in 92, for at that time, an astronomical salary of $16 million over a four-year period, Reggie White says no thank you to the San Francisco 49ers. He says no thank you to signing, re-signing back in Philadelphia. It was funny. The tipping point in the Green Bay Packers signing Reggie White in 1992 was a phone call that Mike Holmgren, who had just been named head coach of the Green Bay Packers, and we all know that Reggie White was a very, very religious man. The tipping point, and Reggie White has said this, and his wife Sarah mentioned it when he was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Reggie had already died, but his wife made his acceptance speech. And Sarah White says, the reason that Reggie White came to Green Bay was a message that Mike Holmgren left on his home answering service. And that message was, God is telling you, Reggie, to go to Green Bay. (laughs) That's the story. 1992, Reggie White signs on with the Green Bay Packers. Four years later, they're in the Super Bowl, and they beat the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 31, 35 to 21. And that was the beginning of this excellence of renaissance. You've heard me talk many times about the 25 years of Brett Favre, and then you go on to Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback. And it's a damn shame that the Packers, through that 25 years, have only won two Super Bowl championships when you have two quarterbacks of that magnitude. But that's where it started back in 92, and it culminated with the Super Bowl 31 win in uh, uh, February of 19. Well, it'll be February of 1997, but the 96 season, that's when the Packers were great again. All right, and by the way, we have breaking news that it is official that Tua Tagovailoa is out for the season. Uh, Right now, again, uh, similar to what I had said about T.J. Brody, in regard to what happened to him at Calgary Flames practice this week. Um, The first and foremost should be the thoughts and prayers of hopefully that this young man can get the surgery done so he is eligible to play again. But is he a first-round pick or a first-overall pick next year? Is he going to play, you know, all that other crap? Put it aside. Right now, first and foremost on everybody's mind should be the overall health of this young man, the quarterback from the University of Alabama. 
All right, uh, I've got another tweet here, which is from The Onion at The Onion. It is a joke, but I've actually always wondered this, which is funny. It says, uh, historians unable to figure out how Americans built the Hoover Dam. And to be honest, I know they're joking, but I've always wondered about that. How the hell did they build the Hoover Dam? Exactly. I mean, I I know it's a joke, but I, I don't have an answer to that, because how do you put a dam in the middle of a desert? Hoover Dam sits 25 miles south and east. If you're on Highway 93 going from Las Vegas to Phoenix, you drive through uh, Hoover Dam and the Lake Mead National Park. That's right at the uh, state line border of Nevada and Arizona. That's where Hoover Dam is located. And in the 30s, how are you... And, And remember... Anybody that knows anything about Vegas, this side of the gambling of what happens in Vegas on an hourly, minutely basis, there's always a water shortage in Las Vegas, in southern Nevada. You're in the desert. I know that we share water rights with the city of Phoenix in regard to taking water from the Colorado River, but the main supplier of water to the city of Las Vegas and Clark County, that is the county that Las Vegas is in, is based out of Hoover Dam. How in the 30s, the 1930s, during the Depression, do you put a stature or a building as physically imposing as Hoover Dam? How do you do that? I mean, obviously you had to dynamite to blow up all the rocks to even get you a foundation to start building a dam. But I, I that to me is one of the great, you know, the, 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 you know you've heard about the, the seven structures of the world you know the Taj Mahal is one seven wonders seven wonders of the world but the Taj Mahal is one and yada 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 I think the engineering done to build Hoover Dam in the middle of a desert should be considered one of the great buildings of all time I really do and it's not just because of my connectivity to Las Vegas but again think about it you're putting an architect or excuse me an engineered design in the 30s an engineered design dam in the middle of a desert. How the hell do you do that? I don't know. I don't have an answer. Wish I did. All right. I wanted to see what you'd do in this situation. So for the win at for the win, Nationals fan refuses to drop two beers, takes home run ball directly to the chest. What would you have done in that situation? You're, you're walking down the stairs. You got a beer in each hand. You're double fisting it. And then and a home run ball is coming right for your sternum. What do you do as a guy from Wisconsin, especially? I'm drunk. You can't spill. You're from Wisconsin. You're not allowed to spill I'm beer. I'm not it's spilling the beers. I'll go buy a baseball and have somebody. Nah, you know, the cost of beer these days. At big league ballparks or any big time sporting venue is ridiculous. 10, 12, 15 bucks a beer. Um, I'm letting the ball go. I can get a beer, excuse me, I can get a ball cheaper than I can for two beers at a big time uh, sporting event. I'm saying bye bye to the baseball. Now, it's more important when you're a little kid, but think about it this way when you're a little kid, you're all about getting a baseball, but you don't have two beers in your hands. Unless, of course, you're in Wisconsin. But um, I real honestly, forget the baseball. I'm not dropping the beers. Not at 12.50 ahead. No way. Not doing it. Nope. <laughs> My aunts and uncles in Kimberly, Wisconsin, in the Fox Valley there, would disown me if I let the beers go. Yeah. All right. Arizona Coyotes at Arizona Coyotes. And this isn't what you think, but it says, official Coyotes sign 
Eight-year-old Leighton Accardo, defenseman. But it's I think it looks like it's a kid with cancer or something. Oh, so it's, it's just it's that's a, a nice make thing. a wish foundation. Yeah. Thing. So it's just a nice thing. Yeah. And then they did a ceremonial face-off. So your thoughts on uh, letting the kid sign a contract and do the ceremonial face-off and all that? Listen, one of the great things about sports um, that I don't think will ever get tiresome or boring or anything is you have uh, kids that have medical problems that we all know. I mean, regardless of all the great work they do at all these different children's hospitals around the United States and Canada and around the world, but a lot of them aren't going to survive. I I don't mean to be morbid. I'm just being honest. And to give a kid the opportunity to meet one of their sports heroes, uh, sign a honorary contract. I thought it was really good. I, I, I do need to mention at the home opener last Friday for the Wisconsin Badgers. I don't know who they were playing. didn't matter. One of their assistant coaches who played for Wisconsin back in the, in the uh, 1990s, Howard Moore, was involved in a prolific car accident this offseason in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and it claimed his wife and daughter. Uh, he survived, and his youngest son survived, uh, but Moore has taken the whole year off. But this year... They made they they allowed his son on opening night, the home opener for the Wisconsin Badgers men's basketball team. They introduced his son as one of the starters, and there wasn't a dry tear in the in the place. And uh, I, I hope, I hope we don't become so cynical and such a group of a group of assholes that that ever stop this because to make a sick kid's wish come true and make his day and make his pain a little less painful, a little bit more bearable for a couple of days, and he gets to meet his sports heroes. I think this is one of the greatest things that sports can do and put a smile on a kid's face because who knows how long that kid's going to be around. And uh, I applaud the people that make the wish a foundation reality, and I hope that they continue to do their great work. Yeah, it's a great charity. And, you know, everyone knows, uh, you know, my wife and I aren't having kids, and that's not really our thing. But I got to tell you, uh, seeing sick kids is pretty tough for me. I'm, I'm, uh, that's a, that's a tough one. I have to say. So you know, you can go through what I've gone through the last couple of years, and Chris has been here by my side through the whole thing. And, um, but I got to tell you, if anything happened to my Olivia or Jenna, um, that's the worst. And and obviously Judy too. But but when your kids, um, you know, if there was something, you know. Jenna, my, my, my youngest daughter is minus her right kidney. She was born with a non-functioning right kidney. And, um, that was a terrible day, but ultimately it was a good thing to, at two years old, we had that, that kidney extracted because it wasn't going to regenerate and it wasn't going to be a functioning right kidney. So my daughter, Jenna just lives with one kidney and she's aware of it. Um, we decided to do it at two years old instead of at five years old because kids are brutal and they'd make fun of her and all this other stuff. But, um, when you have a sick child, it's the worst feeling in the world and there's not a whole bunch you can do about it. And, um, um, you know, you can have a bunch of bad things happen in your life, but if there's something that happens to one of your kids, that's the worst. All right. Well, well, unless your kid's a Kardashian. Yeah. Well, we'll try and end on a bit of a lighter note here. So I'll just say Barstool Sports at Barstool Sports. So they said the uh, Mike's taking a drink again, so I got to be careful. (laughs) 
Uh, so, uh, they say, the touchdown condom balloon should become a tradition at Penn State, and someone threw an inflated condom onto the field, I guess. So, wh what do you think about the inflated condom balloon tradition, if that well, should start? Hey, listen, every, every big-time U.S. college has a tradition. You've got jump around at Wisconsin. You've got, a, you know, every... They just do it a little differently at uh, Penn State. Let them do it. It's it's a great thing. It adds to the experience. And you know, I, I I am not, I am not joking around when I say this. If we continue to have, and this is this is a byproduct, and this is what's got the NCAA really concerned about this pay for play thing that has been signed into law into California, and I'm hoping other states follow suit. But this is what's scaring the crap out of the NCAA, is that if we have all of our athletes in all the, in, in, if, if, and I hopefully someday it becomes, you know, standard practice in all 50 U.S. states, and hopefully someday all, I think it's 11 provinces in Canada? 10. 10 provinces in Canada. I hope in the 50 states and the 10 Canadian provinces that we all have pay for play someday. But these people, especially in the NCAA, and especially Mark Emmert in Overland Park, Kansas, he's got to be staying up nights about this stuff because if all these athletes decide to start paying for play, what do we need the NCAA around for anymore? That's what's scaring the hell out of the NCAA. And all these great traditions, if you don't have college athletics anymore, you're not going to have these traditions anymore. And so... I, I just, you know what, enjoy them for what they are. They are a speciality to the college athletic scene, whether it be football, basketball. You see like uh, at Duke, they don't, the, the, you know, you've, you've heard about the, the Duke indoor crazies at Cameron Indoor Stadium, and they don't start jumping. They don't stop jumping until Duke makes a basket at the beginning of the game. That's a tradition there. Um, I, I could rattle off a bunch of them. UNLV, when, when, Tark the Shark was the coach there. They'd play the Jaws song. Dun -dun 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 -dun, and they'd be jumping up and down until UNLV finally scored a basket. They don't do it anymore because UNLV's basketball team sucks so bad that it takes them eight minutes to score a basket and the kids aren't in that good a shape. But enjoy these things. That's what makes college athletics different from the professional ranks. They can act crazy. The kids that are doing this are 18 through 22, 23 years old. Let them enjoy their time before they have to get into the real world and figure out that sometimes life is very, very tough. And a lot of times life isn't fair. Well, all I want to say is that I'm not sure if Penn State should be going with a sexual theme for their celebration. And I'll leave it at that. Well, you know what? And I, you know, I, I don't mean to end it like this, but think about it this way. Could part of the uh, condom balloon kind of be a bit of a shot at Jerry Sandusky. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think it's really appropriate if they start throwing shower caps onto the field yeah, well, or something. That, you know, okay, like, good. We're on the same page yes. then. We just took different ways to get there. Mm -hmm. We've got to run on this 427th episode of Free Forum Friday. A uh, great way to end a great week of shows. Um, a lot of weird things happened this week in the wonderful and wacky world of sports. It started with Mr. Cherry's dismissal. Um, with the CBC and Sports, Sportsnet Canada. I'm still against it. I'm very appreciative that Bobby Orr, the legendary Bobby Orr, spoke up and supported his friend, as he calls Grapes. That was his coach 
back in the day at the Boston Bruins. And the, and the player that Mr. Cherry always thought was the best all-around player, in his opinion, that he's ever seen or coached in his lengthy career in the National Hockey League. I was very happy that uh, Don, or excuse me, that, that Bobby Orr stood up and said something. Because what happened to Don Cherry was just ridiculous, and it didn't need to happen. We had the Cleveland-Pittsburgh situation. It's just been a weird work, a, w- a weird week in the wonderful and wacky world of sports. And we thank all of you for participating and listening to this week of shows here on Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.